Welcome to the Cult of the Clock Tower. I am Andrew Nathanson. Every other week, a special guest and I have an in-depth discussion about a character from the game Blood on the Clock Tower. Today, we're going to be talking about two travelers from the Bad Moon Rising edition, the first of which is the Bishop, whose ability reads, Only the Storyteller can nominate. At least one opposing player must be nominated each day. Welcome back! For this segment of the Traveler episode, I'm going to be talking to Navian. Hey, Navian. Hello! Uh, so you have been on the show twice? Have you been on the show twice before, or just once? Just once. I was I was here for Minstrel. Right. That was uh, pretty early in this season, I think. So go ahead and check that out. But today we're going to be talking about the Bishop, which is yeah. one of my favorite Travelers. I also really enjoy the Bishop. Um, also, you know, cool hat. <laughs> yeah. Part, part of the cool hat gang. Also part of the chess pieces gang, which currently includes uh, Bishop and King, I think. <laughs> it does. And uh, there might be more characters with chess pieces planned. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I hope so. I hope they do a whole chess-themed expansion. <laughs> that would be fun. But yeah, the Bishop. So this is, uh, I actually think it might be my favorite traveler, which... Sucks for me because my players all hate it. <laughs> so yeah, I never unfortunately, get to play with it. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not uncommon for Bishop to be uh, not particularly liked. I think it, I think it's really interesting, but uh, I do too. it's it's it, it really does change the game, uh, and it changes the game in a way that removes some agency from the players. Kind of, I don't actually mm-hmm. really think it does that much, but I think there's a fear of it removing agency more than it actually does when yeah. you have a storyteller who is running it well. Yeah, but they won't believe you when you say that. So, uh <laughs> We can be kind of freeform in how we talk about this. We've got the notes segmented up into like playing the bishop as good and evil and storytelling for it. Uh but I think it might just be best if we just kind of jump around to whatever comes up so and and that's partially because i think yeah the way the storyteller runs the bishop will definitely influence how you play with it so why don't we talk about that first actually the bishop ability just specifies that the storyteller so the storyteller gets to make all the nominations and they must nominate at least one player who is not the same alignment as the bishop yes that's where players feel like it's removing agencies. They don't get to make the nominations. Right. But I think the, the secret is the storyteller is usually just going to nominate the players that would have been nominated anyway. Exactly. To a large extent. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a really big component for, in my opinion, running the bishop well as a storyteller. Uh, you as a storyteller need to be listening to your players. You need to mitigate some of that fear of that loss of agency by paying attention to who the players want to be nominated and leaning into that. I basically treat it as like it's an information ability. So it's not that Absolutely. it's me making decisions about who to execute as like that's the power. It's that I'm giving information that if there's like say the town wants to execute these two people uh, and I know they're both good. I have to I can sure I can nominate them but then I'm going to throw in another one in there as well because I have to throw in an evil one if it's a good bishop or you know, if it's an evil bishop, then then it is a little bit little bit more of the case that like I might try to control the nominations in a way that's much more helpful to the evil team because for sure if it was just everyone in the town wanted to execute anyway, that's not really a very evil ability. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but at least for for a good bishop, it's really just I'm going to nominate everyone you want me to anyway, and then just you get information out of it because I have to make modifications 
in order to make sure an evil player is dominated. <laughs> yeah, I almost consider the bishop to be sort of in the realm as one of the fabled characters, the duchess, right? So the duchess's ability is that, you know, three players visit the storyteller and at night you find out how many of them are evil uh, and one player gets false info. A bishop, in my opinion, is kind of in that same realm of you're getting some type of meta information from the storyteller about alignments of these players who have been nominated in relation to the bishop's alignment. I think it's a, a really fascinating puzzle that if you, you know, if you have a, a storyteller who's paying attention to the nominations and not going overboard, can give you a lot of really fascinating information about the players. Yeah, and I guess the, the like the fear is that if it's an evil bishop, you will maybe learn that the bishop is evil but not get that much out of it like in terms of learning who evil players are but even so if you know that mm -hmm. like the storyteller is mostly nominating good players then you can still work with that yeah absolutely so you kind of just have to condition your worlds on okay if the bishop's good then we know this if the bishop's evil we know this and it's right. information that the good team can use either way and as a bishop player yourself of course you know your own alignment which means that you get quite a lot of information out of this you know uh, it, for you that information is more solid uh than to any of the other players right Right? If you know that you are a good bishop, then you also know that at least one of these players who has been nominated absolutely has to be evil. Like, mechanically, the storyteller cannot get around that. So at least one of these players is definitely evil. That's useful. Yeah, and I think we should talk about, like, the number of players that the storyteller nominates, because that can make a big difference in how powerful the ability is. Absolutely. So I think the first consideration is that the storyteller shouldn't be nominating too many players. Uh, because if you nominate everyone, well, then, of course, that, uh, well, for one thing, you're just wasting time at that point because it's not yeah. really changing the way nominations work that, at all. Uh, but That's the fastest way to ruin the bishop ability is to just nominate basically everybody every single day. You know, remember that the bishop is an information role. And when you overload that information, it's kind of like town crier, right? If, like nine people nominate every day the town crier's information is not fantastic but on the other hand if you only nominate like three or four people now you've got some workable information absolutely i will say um so the the almanac itself recommends that you nominate about three to five players per day that's not a strict you know that's just a, a guideline just a recommendation it's not a strict thing by any means um but i find that most of the time that feels about right uh i'll say that i usually skew a little bit lower than that which is also fine yeah, like I, I, my range is probably more like two to four. Yeah, which is just a little bit lower. Maybe that's partially just because I tend to play in slightly lower player count games. Uh, certainly in like a, in a game so, with much yeah. more with many more players than more nominations is more acceptable. And I and I think that's generally kind of like uh, a good sort of um, baseline to follow, uh, you know, for yourself as a storyteller is if there are more players alive or more players total, you can do more nominations and that can still be meaningful for the town. As the the player count, the living player count gets lower, or if you are starting off with a lower player count, then consider going to the, you know, very much lower end of that. Maybe you do only need to do two players every day. Yeah, and I, I think there's really interesting stuff you can do with a two-player nomination as the storyteller. Well, for one thing, that gives very nice info if the town believes sure. that the, the bishop is good. Uh, if they believe the bishop's evil, it could be misleading them. So it's still not like, like you might feel like you're giving away a lot by the, doing that. But if the town doesn't know the alignment of the bishop, um, it's more murky than you might think. I do think that's also important to keep in mind as a storyteller. So like you as a storyteller, you have the whole gram. You know exactly what everybody's alignment is, including the bishops. 
And that can bias you to feeling like you're giving away more than you actually are. You know, you gotta you gotta keep in mind the players. The players don't know for sure. They have to go off of you know their social reads, especially in BMR, right? There's there's not much here that can tell you anything about anybody's particular alignment for the most part, a few exceptions. But you know, for the players, it's a lot more up in the air what alignment that bishop is. So yeah, don't be afraid of like, oh no, am I giving away too much here? You're probably not. Yeah, and that being said, if you do want to give a hint that like the bishop is good, or maybe it might be easier to give a hint that the bishop's evil. But like if you have an evil bishop and you feel like the town could benefit from learning that, like it's benefiting the evil team too much if they're trusting the bishop, you can just spend a day where you nominate a couple players that everyone pretty much agrees are good. That will really either get the town thinking like, is one of those players evil? Or they're going to start thinking that bishop is evil, which you know, might feel a little bit bad for the bishop, but if they've been in the game a while and they've been <laughs> influencing um, quite a bit of how the game is going, I think it's also totally fine to do that. And that'll let everyone recontextualize all the information from the rest of the game and try to make sense of it. For sure. And if, it, you know, you can balance it the other way as well. If you find that everybody is like really thinking that the bishop is evil when actually they're not, you could spend a day nominating only a couple of players that the town is sort of leaning quite hard on as being evil. And maybe now you're giving the hint to town like, hey, you can actually maybe trust this bishop. A nice thing about it being in BMR as well is that you always have the option to nominate dead players. True. Which can be a really can make for some really interesting puzzles where like maybe there's a couple of living living players that the town wants to execute and you know they're both good so you can nominate both of them and then go also nominate that dead evil player like that minion who was executed earlier that everyone wasn't really sure of whether to trust or not and the fact that you throw them in is going to give them something to think about absolutely um and you know obviously uh nominating the dead players that plays really great with uh you know zambul or mastermind the reasons that you would execute a dead player on bmr yeah and even if you're using it on other scripts you can technically do that but uh (laughs) probably be less common (laughs) since there's not not, people aren't going to actually really want to execute dead players unless there's zambul mastermind but uh I, i guess like the main thing i'm trying to stress is that just like it's a big source of information, and generally you should nominate the players that the town wants you to, unless the bishop is evil, in which case maybe you don't, which is kind of how the town can figure out that the bishop's evil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of other interesting things to do with it, with an evil bishop, you can nominate, like, like say the town's trying to decide between executing a couple of players. You can only ex- or you can nominate one of them and have that be the one you know is, like, protected by the devil's advocate or something. So you can try, you can try to still follow, like, what the town wants, but secretly choose the outcome that's a little bit worse for them. Right, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think that the devil's advocate, really interesting uh, with a bishop there, because, you know, only you and the DA are like 100% know who's who's a DA protected on any given day. And if that bishop is still in play the next day, uh, you know, you don't technically have to nominate that for town to do a double tap if you didn't want to. Most of the time you probably should, but you don't have to. Yeah. (laughs) And it's also worth noting that if the town ever feels like they really need to make a nomination that you aren't allowing them to make, they just exile the bishop. So Yes, uh, that is important to remember when you're running um, more or less any traveler and things that that interact with nominations or votes. But uh, a call for an exile is not considered a nomination. It is just a call for Um, which means that players are free to call for the exile of that bishop at any time. Its own ability does not affect its ability to be exiled. Let's see. Is there uh, other things we should talk about in terms of storytelling? I have a note in here about, like, things you can do if your players really, like, despite maybe you telling them about how awesome the bishop is, they might 
not like it still. <laughs> um, I've had that experience. So yeah, for I, sure. I have some strategies to deal with that. Um, <laughs> and this is something that applies to other travelers as well, especially the BMR travelers are all kind of, they change the way the game is played. They do. Yeah. Um, you put a note in that, you know, the, the sort of, uh, players not really liking it because they're losing agency kind of also applies to Matron and Voodon, which of course are other BMR travelers. Um, they might also apply to uh, Fabled the Angel, where a player is angel protected and something bad might happen to you know the player responsible for killing them. So yeah, I do think that it's important to keep your players and how they actually feel about things in mind when you're making choices, like what you know travelers are Fabled sometimes to put into play and Bishop definitely can fall into that category. Yeah, and so in terms of like what strategies you can use for this is well one thing is you could just, you know, if you know your players aren't going to have fun with it, you don't need to you don't need to put the bishop in. Um, for sure. as much yes, as I like there's it. There's alternatives. <laughs> Other things you can do is you can try to like reframe the reframe it as like almost you're playing a different game. Like you need to stop thinking about this as this is Blood on the Clock Tower where I can nominate however I want. Uh it's like this is a different game. This is an information puzzle and this is yeah, it's just like this is a new thing we're doing. Um, and if you think about it as a new thing, you're not going to feel like you're losing agency. You're just going to feel like you're doing something different. It's just a different yeah. game. I've definitely found that um, the the roles in the game that kind of fundamentally change like the mechanics of how the game itself is played, they can be very kind of uh, splitting in terms of how people feel about it. Like people will tend to have much stronger emotions about those roles than they do about other roles that maybe don't change some of the fundamental aspects quite as much. So yeah, I, I think trying to reframe it is is absolutely a great strategy, you know. Uh, instead of looking at it as, oh no, I as a player am losing agency, look at it as, okay, this is a puzzle that I can use. Uh, this is a, a source of information for me. This is, you know, Duchess Light, if you will. And I can use this to try to determine, you know, socially speaking, how I feel about the bishop and then apply that onto the players who are being nominated and what that means for their alignment, you know? Um, it can definitely be a fun puzzle, but it's also going to be a fun puzzle that's maybe not for everybody. Uh, which is okay, but Bishop is cool. You should try it. Yeah, and I will say if if you have a traveler who would really like to be the bishop and your group isn't super receptive to it, speaking of angel, this is something you could do with the angel is just like have that traveler enter as the bishop and say the angel protects them for a couple of days. Um, Ooh. It's, I don't know, maybe it's technically not the way you're supposed to use the angel, but... Uh, it, maybe it's not, but... But the angel-protected <laughs> you know that... traveler is kind of... It's a it's a thing I do not just for Bishop. I do it for any traveler sometimes. Like, if I know that my group just, like, doesn't like travelers and will exile them mm -hmm. right away, I'll do it for the fun of the traveler player. It's like, no, you should, you should get to Absolutely. stick around for a little bit. Yeah, it's important as a player to keep in mind that travelers are your fellow players, and... You know, you want to be embracing of your fellow players, right? You want them to have fun as well. Like, you know, don't just care about your own feelings. Remember that there's a person behind that traveler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they just want to play and have fun as well. Uh, but I do think this, this angel hack is really uh, fun. It's sort of like, um, it's sort of like a create your own storm catcher. Yeah, it's like on the fly. It's like, I, I really just need this player to remain involved in the game for a little bit. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and for those who don't know, the angel is something bad might happen to the player most responsible for the uh, for the death of this player. I think the technical wording is for the death of a new player because you're kind of supposed to use yeah. it to integrate a new player into a group of experienced ones and just allow that new player to like be more confident that they aren't going to get killed for whatever they do. But if you use it like this, yeah, it's the same, same kind of idea. You can let that player exist. You can let that bishop ability exist and see if the town actually likes it once they see it in play. Give bishop a chance. <laughs> I will say also, like with my core group of players... I'm pretty sure I've never actually put in an evil bishop. <laughs> I, I just like... Interesting. It's like I don't want them to ever like have an experience with an evil bishop <laughs> because I want them to like the bishop. And you think they'll like it more if it's good because, <laughs> because most of the players are good most of the time. Yeah, and mostly they're saying like, no, I'm good and I don't like the bishop because it means I'm not going to be able to like execute the demon when I want to. And so I'm trying to like show right. that like, no, I'm not actually limiting your ability to do that. And I even said, like, like, do you really think I'm going to put in an evil bishop when you're, like, so afraid of an evil bishop? Like, I want you to like this character, but they still think it's evil every time and just exile them right away. So I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, I, would, I would still put in an evil bishop there, but I would also just be more open to nominating evils when you have an evil. Like, so in general, if you have um, a good bishop, you should probably be nominating more evil players, yeah. um, especially in comparison to if you have an evil bishop. If you have an evil bishop, you shouldn't be like never nominating evil players because I think that starts to become a little too obvious uh, at times. But you know, you, you you generally with an evil bishop, you would nominate fewer evil players as a result, and you would nominate the ones that are going to be less helpful for the town to get out, like we were talking about earlier, like the DA protected one, for example. But you know, I think in the in those instances where where people are still very afraid of bishops uh, and aren't sure how they feel about them, I'd probably still put in evil bishops, but I might be a little bit more open to nominating some of the evil players a little bit more frequently while people are sort of still dipping their toes into the pool, if you will. Yeah, I think it's not like I'm in, I'm like recommending that as a strategy. I just kind of think it's funny at this point because I'm just waiting for somebody <laughs> to be like, well, Andrew says he's going to always put in a good bishop so we can just trust that this bishop is good. And as soon as somebody does that, sure, then I'll start putting in evil bishops. But it, I'm kind of just like seeing how long it takes before someone realizes <laughs> that's actually reliable. <laughs> Feeling out the meta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say about storytelling for the... Uh the bishop before we can talk about maybe some strategies you can use when you're actually playing as the bishop um so yeah i would say if if on the very rare occasion that you have a bishop still alive not exiled on the final day i mean good luck ever encountering that but like <laughs> it can technically happen <laughs> um then you as a storyteller should quite likely be nominating all of the living players on that final day. Um, of course, you also have cases where, uh, you know, you might have a Zambul as well. Uh, your final day might actually be a final two, uh, in which case you should also be nominating dead players and maybe even exclusively nominating dead players because the only way you get to a final two is either it's a mastermind day or uh, it's a dead, already once dead Zambul, right? So the living players are already not the player you need to execute. But if you're in any other situation, like you should probably be considering nominating all of the living players and maybe considering nominating a dead player or two, depending on the context of the game, what, what your players are thinking or feeling. You know, you want to make sure that on that final day, 
both teams have the best opportunity that they can possibly have to potentially win that game. And that generally means making all of the nominations. Yep. And it doesn't matter which team the bishop's on at that point. It's just, yep. you know, let the players for balance of the <laughs> don't, game, don't yeah. punish them for leaving a traveler alive until the end. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. For the balance of the game, it would not be fun or fair. Like, I think that would be the number one way to make people hate the bishop is you have a, an evil bishop alive and you just, like, don't nominate the demon on the final day. I, I think I think at that point people might be looking for a new storyteller, so don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also at that point you might accidentally just, like, make it really obvious who the demon is. Although I suppose at that point they've already, like, run out of other players to nominate, so... <laughs> maybe, that's true maybe yeah. it would be obvious anyway that they wanted to kill the demon but <laughs> that's true yeah and then they just uh, exile the the bishop and then nominate the demon anyway yeah. so it sounds like a bad idea all around <laughs> <laughs> okay so in terms of playing as the bishop uh it's i guess that's partially the other reason that a lot of players don't like it is that the bishop themselves doesn't really like have a thing they do but they do have a thing they know which is their alignment so right yeah the bishop ability is certainly more passive right as a player you're not actively choosing anybody or you know like the judge just choosing for something to happen in the game you're not doing any of that you're just kind of um, like everybody else, sat there waiting for the nominations phase to happen and seeing what you can glean out of that. So I think it's a passive role, but there is an active puzzle there for you to embrace if you want it. Yeah. Um, I'll also say that like it's totally fine to make suggestions to the storyteller. They won't always follow oh, them. For sure. But like you can just be like, hey, uh, if possible, could you nominate this player today? Especially if it's someone who... like you Absolutely. think wouldn't be obvious that you want them to be nominated you know maybe based on the way you're playing you're trying to you've got like a secret uh meeting going on you've got a whole bunch of players on your side but you're trying not to let the evil team know about it so you've just got the people you yeah. trust and maybe that word didn't get around to the storyteller either so you can just go you can tell them who you would like to be nominated yeah um you can do that privately as well like before you know right as everybody's getting gathered back into the town square you can kind of just walk up to your storyteller and just sort of whisper like hey i'd like this player nominated today yeah um or you can do it publicly i do think that's one thing bishop can also encourage is maybe a little bit more sharing of some of the you know thoughts and feelings of the game publicly uh, so that the storyteller does know who they should be nominating you know and i think that that is is in general it's beneficial for the game um, and especially the good team when more information gets shared you know a little bit more freely um, if you hold everything too close to your chest you can end up kind of you know digging yourself into a hole because <laughs> the people you need to know things won't know them yep um but yeah it's absolutely as and, and that's a good strategy regardless of what alignment you are as the bishop right as a good bishop you would be asking for a player that you think is evil to be nominated as an evil bishop you might be asking the storyteller to essentially be a part of your frame job if you will yeah like, if you're like, just nominate these two players, we're framing one of them as evil, like something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so when, when you're the bishop, as you said, you know your alignment. And I think that for the bishop, that is the key to solving that puzzle. So you as the bishop already have the key. You are very sure of your own alignment. What you're trying to do is to convince other players of the key that you have. And so when you're good, it's obviously convincing them that you're good. 
uh, when you're evil, it's still convincing them that you're good <laughs> most <Yeah. laughs> of the time, right? Um, you're trying to disguise your key as something else so that it obscures the information that players might be and uh, end, end up getting out of those nominations. Um, but there's things that you can do while the nomination phase is going on as well, other than just paying attention to who's being nominated. That's obviously a big part of it. And as a good player, you know, when you pay attention to who the storyteller nominates, it's because you know that somebody in there is evil. Uh, and that's really useful information for you. But there's other things you can do as well. So because the players can't nominate, you can't really get any kind of social read off of who seems willing to nominate whom. Uh, but you might still be able to listen to who's pushing on you know, those nominations. The storyteller might make them, but who is making public and vocal support of that nomination to be made in the first place? Who is the storyteller listening to? And what does that mean? Um, and you can also pay attention to uh, voting patterns that might happen, right? Because the players have some of their agency taken out of the nominating, they might feel that more of that agency gets poured into their voting. And so paying attention to, you know, who's voting on whom, who's saying that they're willing to vote on somebody but actually isn't, and, you know, those kinds of things. Like, you can get your social reads out of this phase still. You just have to kind of shift a little bit in what exactly you're looking at. There's things you can read into, like, the order that players are nominated to an extent, mm -hmm. especially in terms of how willing players are to vote. So that, that's something to pay attention to as well. And something to think about as the storyteller is... For like sure. If you're going to nominate, like, like often I've noticed that the first nomination gets fewer votes when when the bishop's in play. And that's just because the players are a little bit less sure of, like, it's like, oh, there's, there's more nominations after this, so I don't know if I want to commit to this one. Um, I think right, that's kind yeah. of the reasoning or maybe, or just, like, the psychology of maybe why the first uh, nomination tends to get fewer votes. That's something to think about as the storyteller yeah, and also as sense. the bishop. Who is the storyteller nominating first? You can try to, you can of course try to meta the storyteller and be like, oh, I'm good. So they're totally going to nominate a good player, then probably an evil player later. You know, <laughs> no guarantee on any of that, but you can try. You can, yeah. And, and you know, there's also something to look at when, if somebody is currently on the block, um, paying attention to how many votes they had on them, which means how likely is it that this could get lifted off onto another player and who are those players that the storyteller is nominating, right? A lot of times I have found that storytellers are a little bit reticent to nominate the demon specifically in the earlier part of the game with the bishop in play because they don't want the game to just end on like day one or day two, yeah. right? That's <laughs> generally, you know, those those that happens sometimes, um, but that's generally you're trying as a storyteller to get the game to be a little bit longer lasting than that, hopefully. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, they, they'll nominate just a minion um, and they'll sort of stay away from the demon. Or uh, the other thing that I can see a lot of the times with a good bishop is the storyteller will nominate a demon, but only when it is exceedingly unlikely that the player who's currently on the block is going to get lifted off. <laughs> Either because that player is evil and a minion and everybody is convinced this player is evil, um, or because of like, you know, overvoting, for example, you know, this player just had a whole bunch of votes piled on, which means any nominations after that are, they're not meaningless, but they're sort of in terms of being able to lift that player meaningless, like it's not gonna happen, you know? So paying attention to, to those times, like 
yes, who's the storyteller nom uh, nominating first because they might get lesser votes, but also who's the storyteller nominating after it's going to be near impossible to lift a player off of what, you know, off of the block, right? Like that can get you some information as well. And who is the storyteller appearing to avoid and why? Are they avoiding nominating somebody because everybody trusts them as good and the storyteller thinks it's not going to be a worthwhile nomination to make? Or are they not nominating that player because it's the demon and they don't want the game to end? Somewhat related to this, uh, something we probably should touch on as well, is when do you decide to stop the nominations as the storyteller if nobody's being executed? Ooh, I think there's a tendency a to question. want to keep going until somebody does get executed, but... Mm -hmm. I think it's also fine to just be like, all right, well, those were my nominations. That was the information I wanted you to have. You didn't want to kill yeah, any of those absolutely. players, but uh, you, that's the end of the day. There's no more nominations. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, I would still keep within that recommended range of like, you know, somewhere between about two to five, depending yeah. on the amount of living players and the amount of players total. I would I would still keep it within that range. And if nobody wants to execute any of the players that you've nominated within that range, like just stop. It's totally fine. You know, like we said earlier, um, if you keep going, if you put too many nominations in, the bishop's information is essentially meaningless. Like, there's just too much info to, to actually get anything out of that. And at that point, you're just nominating to sort of satisfy the feeling like somebody should get executed, right? Uh, which is maybe not the correct, uh, like, feeling to lean into there, you know? Just just go ahead and say, well, these are the players that I think, you know, should be nominated. These are the players that I think is going to give information to, you know, both teams uh, without, you know, going overboard. And if nobody wants to execute into that, well, all right then. Uh, they can go to sleep. Yep. Um <laughs> And, and if they really don't want that, if instead what they want is to keep nominating and they want to nominate people who you're not nominating, then again, they have that agency to exile the bishop and do it themselves. Um, I think that's probably good for our discussion here. Oh, we haven't talked about playing as the evil too much, though. Oh, that's true. I mean, mostly as an evil bishop, I just want to stay alive because the storyteller is <laughs> yeah. helping me. Because it benefits you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think there's there is some stuff that you should pay attention to as an evil bishop though um, as well. So the the one thing that I would suggest really here is also paying close attention to who the storyteller nominates because the storyteller only like like they have to nominate at least one good player and they will probably nominate more than one good player most of the time on any given day. At least one of those players is most likely suspicious enough that uh, the you know you as an evil player can try to paint them evil even when they're not you know this uh, as we, we talked about before that's not always what a storyteller might do they might nominate the two players who are everybody thinks is good to sort of give a hint that oh the bishop is evil but most of the time I think you can rely on those nominations to sort of give you a hint about who you can push on uh, to look evil. Yeah, pay attention to that and and formulate plans based on who the storyteller nominated of who you can try to set up as looking evil, who you can push on. Um, yeah, they might know something that you don't. Yeah, and they probably do, right? Because yeah. the storyteller is listening in on more conversations than you are a part of. So you can get something out of that and use that to your advantage if you're clever. And the other thing that, you know, uh, I think you can pay attention to is as an evil traveler, 
you don't always get the demon's trust. You know who the demon is. You can make your reach out. Uh, but, you know, not every demon is going to just go for it, especially not immediately, because it's a strategy that you can use to be a good traveler, go to every player and basically be like, yeah, so you're my demon, let's go, <laughs> and wait for somebody to out to you. So demons are often a little bit, you know, like, mm, I'm not I'm not going to just, you know, hard out to you right now. I'm not going to give you who all of the evil team is right now. Um, so instead what you can do is uh, you can gain their trust in the normal ways that you would uh as any other traveler, uh, but during this nominations phase, you want to keep an eye on their voting. You know, uh, follow your demon. This is generally true of any traveler, but especially as a bishop, because you can't do nominations, this is where you're going to potentially get some information about who might be on the evil team with you, um, who the demon doesn't want to ki get killed, uh, who the demon does want to get killed, who the demon wants to kind of frame as evil or might have a powerful ability and that they want to get out of the game. Uh, so, you know, paying attention to what your demon is doing, pretty important, pretty helpful if if you can't get them to just <laughs> tell you outright. Yeah, I'll also say that like it's possible that after the first set of nominations, your demon might know that you're evil now because they know that, this, <laughs> that they didn't, uh, the storyteller didn't nominate any evil players. Um, Absolutely. So you do have that yeah. benefit as well, is that at some point your demon might come up to you and just be like, oh, okay, cool. I know you're evil now. So Yeah, uh, which is really helpful because it's one of the few uh, travelers that I think could hard earn the trust of their demon that way. You know, a lot of travelers, it is just a player has to kind of socially lean into it and, and show the demon, like, you can trust me. Um, whereas the bishop could just be hard proven to that to that uh demon there and you're you're just all set from there on uh now i think that brings us probably to the end of the episode here i think so i think we covered it yeah it's a fairly simple character to play fairly complicated character to story tell uh definitely, <laughs> yes, definitely don't sure. make it unfun for your players do your best yeah i i think um subtlety is a really good skill to have when you're running a bishop as a storyteller yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on the episode, Navian. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hope to have you back for something soon, whatever I end up doing after these Traveler episodes. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're all looking forward to what's coming next. So that'll, that'll do it for this part of the episode. I don't know if this is going to be first or second. It's probably going to be another Traveler coming up after this, or you already heard one. So thanks, everyone, and goodbye, or... Goodbye for now. Bye. The second Bad Moon Rising Traveler we'll be talking about is the Matron, whose ability reads, Each day, you may choose up to three sets of two players to swap seats. Players may not leave their seats to talk in private. I am joined now for this segment by Brian. Hey, Brian. Hello. You've been on this show quite a few times. You are one of the most frequent guests, so I'm sure our listeners are probably already familiar with you. I hope so. Do you remember what the last episode you were on by any chance? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it was probably a little bit earlier in the season, and it's been quite a while since I recorded those. So, who knows? But <laughs> just pick a random episode. There's a decent chance you'll find Brian. Uh, <laughs> today we're talking about the Matron. This is, we were just talking before the show that this is one of those, this is a traveler where... 
we kind of have the least to say about it. <laughs> like, there's just not that much to say about the matrons. This segment will probably be pretty short. Um, but why don't you give me any any opening thoughts you have on playing as the matron, storytelling with the matron, just its effect on the game, anything like that? I mean, uh, such a big part of Blood on the Clock Tower can be the way that information kind of travels throughout the game because of the private conversations that you don't have in like other similar social deduction games. And the matron definitely changes that up because you can't leave your seats to talk in private. So if you want to talk privately, you're basically talking to your neighbors. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting thing. As the matron, though, I'm not sure exactly. I guess like the big the big advantage, like if you're a good matron, is that you can control who can speak privately. So it's like if there's something that happens that would have required players to plan it, like the evil team to plan it, if there's some coincidence that you think was either planned or just didn't happen, you can more likely assume it didn't happen. <laughs> or in, unless the exact like people you suspect of doing this were sitting next to each other. Yes. Which is... You know, this is something you could kind of control, like, just in terms of, like, the metagame anytime you're playing Blood on the Clock Tower, but most groups don't do that. And the reason they don't do that is because it's usually also beneficial to good uh, to be doing, like, lots of private whispers and stuff. So that's an interesting thing with the matron. If you're a good matron, you get that advantage of knowing for sure how information has traveled through the evil team. But you kind of have to use your ability to overcome the downside, which is that the good team cannot share information as freely um, and make as elaborative plans. Absolutely. Like, in, in a normal game, you can kind of, you can pay attention to who's talking to who, but it's just so much more difficult. Yeah, and with the matron, it's always like, you have to deliberately put people together if you want them to talk. So if somebody if somebody wants to talk to someone else, it's like they have to go through you first. Exactly. So that's just like my broad thoughts on being like a, a good matron, is that it's not really an inherent advantage from the ability. So in order to get that advantage, you need to be paying a lot of attention. As an evil matron, I feel like it's a little bit more inherently powerful just because you get the benefit of having the evil team or the the good team share information less effectively, but you can still subtly manipulate it to put the evil players together. And it usually won't be too obvious, I think. I think you can usually do that uh, in a subtle enough way that it could look like it was an accident if you get found out. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen an evil matron, I'll say, like, give away the evil team. I have seen them be pretty effective at allowing the evil team to plan in secret, though. Absolutely. Well, and one of the fun things about being an evil traveler is you, if you really want to, you can give it away and just get exiled, but they're already moved. Yeah, so. like if, you, if, you, if you see some good players, like, having some kind of conversation that you want to break up. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, maybe not so much if you're, like, putting the evils together, because that you don't want to give that away. But. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it is the interesting thing is you do, like, the, the changes you make to seating order are permanent, so it's not just affecting who whispers. It's also affecting, like, vote order and stuff. Now, that can be really hard to plan for and manipulate in an effective way. I, especially in Bad Moon Rising, I don't think it usually is going to matter that much. Like, one thing I could think of, if you for some reason have a matron and a mayor in the same game, voting order at the end of the game with a mayor can be super important. Um, so, like, putting evil players to the right of the mayor can be really strong. I'm not sure how much you can do along those lines in Bad Moon Rising. <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, vote manipulation never never hurts. Um, it's, it's not going to have nearly as much of an effect, of course, especially if you've got players who are paying attention to that kind of thing anyway yeah it's like 
maybe towards the very end of the game it can matter a bit more. Um, yeah. Something like having the demon be to the right of the minion is, in theory, a little bit better for you because then you can't tell whether... Like, the demon then has the choice if the minion's nominated at the end to, like, throw up a vote on them in a way that maybe if they were voting earlier it would discourage others from voting. Like, say, if you're in the situation where the group knows they're both evil but they don't know which is which, if they see the demon voting for the minion, that might discourage them from voting as well. So if you put them directly to the right of the minion, they can just put up their hand at the last moment. It's little things like that. Like an opposite minion panic. Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, the big effect is that it's going to be a very different game. And that's something I kind of like about the Matron, is that it's just, it really changes the way the game is played, but it's not in a way that clearly benefits either team, regardless of the alignment of the Matron themselves. Yeah, it kind of, be, because you can only really talk privately to your neighbors, for the most part, it forces a lot more information out into the open, especially earlier in the game. I feel like that tends to benefit good a little bit more. It makes it a lot harder for evil sharing information publicly works a lot better when they can plan it out ahead of time. Yeah. Now, granted, it's a lot more helpful for good if they know what information is coming out and they can kind of control that narrative. But I feel like having more information out tends to benefit good a little bit more. I think... It really depends, because like there's the extreme of that, which is just everybody comes out with all their information immediately, which is something I've seen groups try to do. And I think that with an experienced, yeah, I think with an experienced evil team, it, that usually ends up better for evil. And the fun thing is, especially in VMR, that there is so little hard information, so a lot of figuring stuff out is kind of talking through why something is happening. And there's a, quite a few things you can do, like like a lot of the time... Uh, in BMR, you'll like execute somebody and then they'll survive. And then the good team gets a lot of advantage from obscuring why they survived. So like, if that was just a sailor, you might want the demon to think it was due to the tea ladies that they'll kill those that sailor's neighbors. If, you know, those neighbors are people who are okay with dying. And then they might try to kill the sailor again or something. So having that, that sort of ambiguity about, about why somebody um didn't die when they were executed can be a really nice thing and that's something you can kind of help with as the matron so like you could kind of like find if you find one of those roles like say your neighbor happens to be a fool or a sailor i i mean it's kind of, it's it's kind of hard to coordinate but you can use the swaps to like put people next to you so that you can learn about them and then you can use later swaps to um like set something up that looks like you're setting up a tea lady pair or something but really it's yeah. just you know that person's the fool so that, that's kind of a way that you can use it to obscure the information so that all the information travels through you and you can pretend to be setting something up. And of course, you could also just actually set something up where it's like, hey, I want a tea lady test this player. <laughs> well, so speaking of, of tea lady, it's really the only it it's the only ability in Bad Moon Rising that directly has to do with neighbors. Yeah. So it's definitely one that as as good matron you can manipulate that into hopefully saving people or making people think that you're trying to save people um and as evil if you do spot a tea lady you can move people away from them for the demon to kill if that's something that you're planning on that kind of thing yeah i think that's probably the big one to be aware of in terms of what other players are the the ability to just like come up with worlds where uh, talking now as a good matron if you if you are coming up with worlds where it's like this pair of people is evil you can just keep them apart from each other. That's one nice thing. Uh, 
it doesn't necessarily yep. it's not a guarantee that you're actually keeping evil players apart from one another but it's like if you know you come up with a couple of worlds and it's like either these three people are evil or these two are evil or these two you can probably manage to set up the circles that none of your suspected evil teams are next to each other which can be a good uh big advantage for the good team yeah and you have the ability to swap people around every day so you can definitely move you know as the story changes throughout the game you can kind of try to make it so that people can't be communicating too much with people that you think are evil or manipulating the story too much yeah i think it's also nice to uh like take requests from people to move that can be a good way to gain oh, some absolutely. trust um and it'll just be more fun for the game in general <laughs> one interesting thing i've noticed is that in bad moon rising you've got kind of three travelers that all like have a really big effect on the game um, which are the matron the voodon and the bishop and of those, I think players are generally, what I've noticed at least, is that players generally like the matron the most. Because it's it very much changes the way the game is played, but it doesn't necessarily change the feel of the game that much. And it can still feel friendly when like you ask the matron to move you, and then they do. Or even if they don't, it still feels like, well, that's a player making that decision, you know. <laughs> um, yep. Whereas the other, the bishop and the, the voodoo effects are more like affecting, and they have less there's not like one player necessarily responsible for them. <laughs> I think for the non-traveler players, it can be really interesting to kind of see how the matron responds to people asking things, that kind of stuff. Um, kind of gives you a little bit of a way to suss out their alignment. Let's talk about being an evil tea lady some more. Not tea lady, an evil matron uh, some more. I love being an evil tea lady. <laughs> that's just, Yeah, that's always good. I think the, the biggest goal kind of for an evil matron is just to subtly place people or or you know like either do some permanent damage to the seating order that I, I don't know exactly what that entails but like somehow you could pull that off um or just put people next to each other who you don't actually think would benefit from being there you know if you see a conversation going on that you think involves uh good players only just put them up <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do the same thing as you would do as a good one, just the other way around. Um, you're, you're trying to limit the information of people who are doing things you don't want and get people who are doing things you do want together. Sometimes you might even want to put some good players together if they're going down, like, the wrong path, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, let's let's get these guys together and see what they can come up with to completely, you know, screw their own team. Um <laughs> One of the hard things is normally as a uh, traveler, obviously, if you're an evil traveler, you're told who the demon is. And you kind of have to almost move you and the demon together at some point um, in order yeah. to try to find out any <laughs> anything about like the minions or something, which can kind of be risky if you if, you know, people are paying too much attention to it or you don't want to draw too much attention to if and when you do that. But the problem is, otherwise, you might never learn who the minions are, so it kind of limits your ability to uh, put the demons and minions together, too, which can yeah. be if you If you do manage to uh, get access to the information of who's evil, that can be a big benefit to you, though, because that's when you can actually start trying to pull off some things, like... You can, like, fake set up a tea lady, you know, and actually have it be a devil's advocate. Or you can take a real tea lady, let's say you executed one of their neighbors, and that a neighbor died... If you just move the other neighbor away, it's going to make them look really evil. And you might get exiled, but now all of a sudden it's like 
the group doesn't they they were like okay we executed this one person they died so we think that's because it was this tea lady or the tea lady wasn't working so we're going to execute the other neighbor if you know that that other neighbor is actually the good one moving them away is like a certain way to get yourself exiled and them executed <laughs> <laughs> well and it even especially with tea lady so much of their uh provability is kind of keeping track of who's died and who hasn't that's next to them and anytime you're moving people around around them it just makes it that much harder to keep track of who's good who's evil who like what's going on with the tea lady who was next to them at this point and who's next to them now kind of thing it's also worth noting that you can use your ability at any point during the day so for instance if somebody gets nominated and has enough votes to be executed you can just like move them somewhere else and if they were counting on <laughs> being protected by the tea lady, they no longer are. So if you just want to cause chaos, move the person who's about to be executed just to ruin any tea lady plans. <laughs> chaos is the best kind of game, in my opinion. <laughs> Another thing you can do is if you have heard of a lunatic. Well, for one thing, being an evil matron with a lunatic is one of the best ways to keep the deception up for the lunatic. It might be harder for you because you have to figure out who they are and learn that the evil team has successfully, like, you know, tricked them so far. But if you can just isolate them from the people they think are their minions, that's <laughs> that's going to help help a lot in keeping them confused for longer. Absolutely, and that can be something that you can do is good, too, depending on, like, where people are going. And if you think a lunatic is being uh, tricked, you can try to get them away from people sometimes, too. Yeah, that, that can work. It's hard to figure that out, though, is good. Um, it is. Oh, yeah, the other thought I had about Tea Lady is moving around the Tea Lady themselves into positions where you know that their neighbors can die and just, like, hoping that the town will go for one of their neighbors but the wrong one. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, you can, if you have a devil's advocate in the game, you can have them protect a certain evil player, move the Tea Lady next to that pair of players, and then either you're going to execute the good neighbor and they're going to die, or you're going to execute the evil neighbor and they're going to survive and look good. It's really, really the matron, yeah, the, the character interacts the most with is definitely Tea Lady in Bad Moon Rising. Absolutely. I mean, you can always move people around so that the demon can kill players that you want to kill too, so. Oh yeah, just getting the Tea Lady away from the protected neighbors. Do you have any other thoughts on playing as the matron? Uh, no, not really. Yeah, it's just, it's a fun character. I think I have some thoughts on storytelling it. We don't really have anything in the notes here. Because there's not much to it. There's not like any decisions you have to make. You just do what they say until they're exiled. I, the decision you do make with all travelers, though, is whether they're good or evil. And I think that for the matron, uh, they're probably a traveler that can, like, that can be evil more than the others. So I usually tend to just make the majority of travelers good, as as you should. And I still probably make the majority of matrons good. But I make them evil just a little bit more often because I feel like it's a less directly impactful character in that way. Like, it kind of just affects the whole game and doesn't really benefit their team immensely. Absolutely. I mean, like we said, especially with, like, evil ones, it's hard for them to... And their own ability makes it harder for them to actually plot much with the evil team. So, yeah. Um, I think one of the things to remember when you're storytelling it is, you know... Obviously, once Matron is exiled, they can't swap people around anymore. But everybody can also suddenly now leave their seats, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So that is part of their ability, and that's going to stop too. And I feel like people would almost, maybe this is just my own experience, but people <laughs> kind of forget sometimes once if they've had the matron in the game for a little while. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And it's also the case that like players tend to want to get up more often earlier in the game. So if you have a, if you have a matron in the early part of the game, sometimes just all the information kind of comes out, and then the players don't have much of a reason to <laughs> leave their seats later on. So that can definitely play into that as well. For sure. And I think if you have a, a meta where people, you know, I, I feel like people who've been playing the game for a while, players tend to talk privately a lot. Um, and having a matron in the game almost entices them. <laughs> a lot of times they're like, nope, we're just going to exile you right away. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, and this is kind of something that I feel like happens with a lot of travelers in general, especially ones that have a big impact on the game. Um, trying to encourage people to kind of leave them in the game for <laughs> at least a little bit to give that player the chance to have an impact. And of course, it also depends, like, is the matron in the game from the beginning of the game or did they enter the game later? Um, that can definitely have a different kind of effect on the game as well. But Yeah. Uh, in terms of, like, if dealing with players who immediately want to exile... Um, the Traveler. That's something I talked about in the Bishop episode, which I think is going to be paired with this one. So I'm not going to go into that in a ton of depth here, but there, I, listen to that section. Uh, I have some thoughts on like ways you can socially and mechanically make it so that Travelers get to stick, stick around a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's about it for the Matron. It's Honestly, it's really fun. I like the Matron a lot. It's just, I like all the Travelers that kind of change up the way the game is played. They're some of my favorites. Um, although, yeah, it can be a, a challenge to actually have their ability in play and not just have the group exile them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny thematically, too. You've got, like, this teacher. Yeah. <laughs> just like, nope, let me move the problem, children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... Yeah, no, no, don't get up. You must stay in your seat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, cool. So, yeah, thanks for being on this episode, Brian. Uh, always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. And to the listener, thanks thanks for listening. These are the Travelers. Woohoo. I have to be extra awkward at the end because I don't know if this is even going at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Checks out. Checks out.